Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Welcome to Boxes and Lines. That's a new one. That's a new one. Our special Welcome guest to today. Boxes and Lines. God bless you all. There you go. Our special guest today is a friend of JR's and I, and her name is Shelley Ellaby, Managing Director and Head of Marketing and Electronic Trading at BMO Capital Markets. And one of the lovely, most lovely and smartest and fun people that we know anywhere in Wall Street. And if you don't deliver, we're going to edit that out. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> her, her role prior to joining BMO was Chief Marketing Officer of Clearpool Group. Clearpool, great. They're, we love those innovators. Uh, they were acquired by BMO in 2020 where she left a significant mark through her innovative marketing strategies, which we'll hear more about in an interview with Shelley. I didn't read that, did I? No, no, that sounded all very fluid, very well done. Last part of the intro, at BMO Markets, Shelley is responsible for not just shaping product marketing, but also driving thought leadership (laughs) and equity market structure. So without further ado, Shelley, welcome to Boxes Line. Thanks for joining us, and don't regret it already. Mm <laughs> Thank you for having me, and I don't regret it at all. <laughs> well, well, we're we're not we're, very we're, far into the podcast. We, so. we are going to work on the regret level. <laughs> JR, would you like to ask the first question? It's a nice little warm up. Um, certainly. So, Shelley, I understand from a previous interview that you made the comment that, from your perspective, you kind of finance chose you, leading uh, you from a path from direct marketing to financial technology business. Can you talk a little bit more about your background, how that um, how that migration happened and why it happened? Sure. I dropped out of college my sophomore year and I went to go work for a direct marketing firm. And during my time at Conrad, I started there as a receptionist, went to an assistant account executive, and then I made it to account executive. The businesses that I covered there were alternative health and financial publishing. So that was probably my first exposure to finance. So while I was there, the owners of the company, Barbara and Jerry, and my managers took an interest in me at a time when I probably didn't have enough confidence in myself, and they encouraged me to go back to school. So they created their first tuition reimbursement program, and I went back to NYU for my degree. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Yeah, they were great people. Post-graduation, I went back. They fully encouraged and supported me and told me to leave, essentially. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you said post-graduation. There's no way I was going back there. But yeah, it's just like, says that to me on a daily basis, <laughs> but I ignore him. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Keep going, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they gave me, you know, the opportunity to spread my wings. And I went to Securities Data Publishing, which was then purchased by Thompson. Yep. Um, yep. And I worked on Security Industry News and Financial Planning Magazine. And it was at the time when publications were going from print to digital. So I had an opportunity there to build out their websites, uh, build out their digital audiences. And that was probably, you know, my introduction into tech. At that same time, it was the dot-com boom. So me, like other people, thought I was going to get rich really quick. And (laughs) I went to email marketing company and it had nothing to do with finance. So this was all about tech. So it made sense that as a direct marketer, I had the skills of segmentation, analysis, audience building, building websites. So I was like, this is a great move for me. But unfortunately, that particular dot com was a bust. Then I moved to where I had an opportunity to work in finance and tech before fintech was really a thing. 
and I joined TD Waterhouse. And that was at the time where commissions were $100 to trade, and now they're zero. So I'm completely dating myself right now. Um, (laughs) John certainly remembers those days, but so do I. I don't remember much about them. I'm kind of like, yeah, it's all a blur to me now. At least I lived through them, supposedly. Yeah. And then I went to advertising technology for 15 years. And it just happened to be at a time where advertising markets were starting to mimic financial markets in the sense that advertisers use a system called demand side platforms to access inventory and show their interest of what they wanted to buy. Oh, and yeah. And used sell side platforms to show their inventory. And then the agreements were all digital. So it kind of sounds familiar to what I'm doing today. And I landed at Clearpool. So, wow, that's amazing. You know, it's like so uh, one of the best examples I've ever heard of, of of somebody who has you've been nimble and adaptable and flexible enough to be able to kind of like find these opportunities or be open to them, which is something that I think often um, people just entering the workforce don't focus on enough. Um, You know, they sort of think I need to figure out what my career path is going to be and I need to stick on it. I need to have kind of like a 10 year plan or whatever. And it sounded like you much more sort of went with the flow and kind of found the opportunities where, where they were. Yeah. My mom always said that I marched to the beat of a different drummer. So I never really knew if that was good or bad, but she also said, you know, God takes care of fools and babies. And I never knew. (laughs) Well, you are, you are neither one of those and whatever it has led you to us. So we're, uh, we're glad about that. If I told you what my mom said about me, it would take the X rating. This podcast already has to to end the degree. She's very proud of me now, but uh, back, back in those days, but no, John's right. Because, we did a podcast a short while ago with three of the interns that uh, spent the summer here at IEX. And that was kind of our advice to them. You know, find yourself in your 20s. Don't just think you have to leave college and jump exactly into the role that you're going to be married to later in life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I remember that one. That was the one where you, they were like, you know, Gen Z. That was what Ronan <laughs> called me Gen A. He said, oh, you, you must be Gen A. And would, that's, that's sweet. That's, that's, nice. that's ageism. I would never yeah. say anything yeah. like that to you, John. Yeah, you <laughs> You complete me. Let's get to your role at um, BMO, please. So you're, you're head of marketing for electronic trading. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of electronic trading platforms out there too, but there's also, you know, the financial landscape of constant change and evolutions. Like what, what are the biggest opportunities? And, and for people, yeah. most, I mean, yeah. people in the industry will know, yeah. uh, but BMO stands for Bank of Montreal, correct? Yes. 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 Very good. That's thank, true. Thank you. Thank, yes. thank you. Mm-hmm. Our listeners will yeah. be very mm-hmm. pleased that mm-hmm. you, you did that, but we'll probably put that in the intro. Anyway. <laughs> What are the biggest opportunities you see in marketing for electronic trading platforms, given all of that long-winded background I gave you? (laughs) (laughs) So I think most people would probably expect me to say, you know, AI, right? But I feel like AI is probably the most completely overused. Amen. Amen. Used incorrectly. Like it's just, it's not new. And it's just something that's been evolving in its development and its application. So that's pretty much what I'm going to say about AI, right? But in the role that I'm now, that I'm in now, I think market microstructure provides the most opportunity, right? So as long as that continues to evolve from region to region, the product will evolve that we work on. And it gives me a robust source of innovation to continue to market. So if I had to think about something recently that we just worked on, you know, everyone's talking about sub-dollar at this point. Yep. And, yep. you know, we had the opportunity to build a sub-dollar algo config. 
And with my team working on that sub-dollar algo config, that gives me an opportunity to help my sales team then go present that to clients in various messaging. You know, we can do a blog post, we can do a case study. So it's like the market microstructure for me is the gift that sort of keeps on giving. How did you market that? Did you put out a campaign, if you trade in dog shit stocks, we've got the algo for you? (laughs) Sorry. It it personally drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the AI thing too, because I just noticed that there was a, uh, Gary Gensler had given a speech the other day where the topic came up about um, AI, and I don't know if he used the term or it was just in the article of of AI washing instead of greenwashing, that firms are like, firms that are trying to promote some kind of advantage, um, sort of talk about how their products use AI without even any idea of what that means. Um, And and it's, there's actually a filing that I'm thinking about a market participant that is um, proposed to uh, do something that they said involves the use of AI without any explanation of what that means. Um, So be nice. Yeah. I'm always nice. Always (laughs) nice. We're not even letting Shelly answer the question. <laughs> Sorry, we're not we, yeah, this is this is how we converse. No, but that, that's interesting. I was not aware there was any subdollar um, algo out there, but like there was just the article in the Wall Street Journal the other day on how many subdollar stocks there are now, and like people are calling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like it, it is what it is. It's kind of been. It's sort of followed on from the COVID era, but it it seems to be stable. So it makes sense that somebody should create an algo to trade these things. Especially if your clients come to you for it, right? That's, yeah. that's we service yeah. our clients. If someone has an interest, the platform is nimble enough to to build out what they need. Well, sure. Yeah. And so, when thinking about your clients, um, I, I'd just be interested and curious as to how you define them or or your audiences. Obviously, marketing is all about kind of uh, uh, defining who your constituents are, who your audiences are, and figuring out how you do. Do you think about your clients all as uh, are are you all think about them in the same way? Are there different categories or different types of clients? Do you try to sort of market differently to, to different groups? Yeah. So I guess at its highest level, we service two audience spaces and institutional audience space with the BMO electronic trading team. Um, and then we service the broker dealer audience, which is the historical Clearpool BD audience, right? So within each of those, we have clients that trade uh, very differently and have different needs. We have some clients who are really aggressive and want liquidity seeking strategies and others who are really passive and, you know, just kind of want to follow the schedule. So we do look at the client's trading behavior or what they what they say their goals are, and then we create segmentation based on that so that we make sure that we're delivering the, the right algo configurations. The suite is the same for everybody, but the base mm-hmm. algos are the same, but it's how you customize those algos for those given audiences that allows makes, us to sort of market to it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question along the lines of our, uh, of our, of our AI comments. Uh, there's, there's another often thrown around term like digital technology and digital <laughs> assets. Like how, how do you see digital technology innovations impacting marketing strategies in this sector? So, um, again, I think that the new shiny penny is chat GPT, right? And everybody yep. wants to do chat GPT. It's all the rage. But I still think that its potential use and application specifically for marketing, specifically for finance, are, are to be determined. I think a marketer's biggest challenge at this point in sort of digital technology is that we're fighting for mind shares on screens that continue to get smaller and we have to do it with fewer words and we have to find the right audience at exactly the right time. So for me, like I said, in the role that I'm in, I still believe content is king. And that is probably from my direct marketing days. I think that 
how content is going to be delivered to people will continue to evolve. But I think people generally respond well when I'm able to share relevant information with them. That really adds value. And I'm respectful of their time. I don't try to go off on a, you know, a 40 page diatribe or a 400 page comment letter. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing one of those at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, yes, I'm sensitive to that. I like when our guests heckle John too. <laughs> <laughs> that was not directed at me. You no, okay? no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So understanding the medium in which your message is being delivered, I think that's what's the digital technology, digital innovation is going well, to you, you made yeah. such a good point in terms of people, you know, screens being smaller and people, I, you, you know, it also makes me crazy. Hopefully that doesn't mean that people's minds get smaller too, but I worry about that, you know, then people are so like, so hyper-focused on, you know, wh- whatever minimum number of, of characters they can, uh, you, you know, either yeah. absorb or communicate at any one moment in time. Um, and, what you give up in terms of the ability to actually absorb and think about something anymore. Yeah. I mean, I realize yeah. it's a much bigger concern and problem. But. Are we admitting our age? I, well, yeah, I feel like a cranky old man. I know, but yeah. I will admit, like when I'm riding down the bike path um, and, and, you know, on my bike and I see people on their bikes holding up their friggin' phones and I've started like, you know, just railing at them again, like an angry old man. Cause I, <laughs> well, can I give my vent on that? I don't yes. like when people share through teams attachments that I have to click five fucking things to get the thing to open oh, up in the application. Well, there you go. Can you just yeah. send me the word document in this thing called email? Huh. Yeah. Sorry, Sean. Yeah. Let, let's, wow. let's, let's get back to our Sorry. <laughs> we, we, we went on a bit of a rant there, but <laughs> yeah. well. And now, now we're back. I mean, <laughs> now we're back. You pretty much answered this, but I, I, I still have a question around um, like, Product marketing in our space, it's kind of like niche and wonky and techy. And I mean, I guess our clients come to expect that in the marketing too, but it, it is, it's, I think, I don't do the marketing side of thing. I think it's complicated. Um, like, how do you, do you just aim to simplify it or? Well, for me, I always, it's simple for me, right? I start yeah. with the problem and I try to see what we're solving for and why does it matter? Those are probably the two questions that I ask most often. I've been fortunate enough that in every role that I've been in, I've been able to sit between sales product and development. So, you know, together, I think it's those teams that drive product adoption. And the strategies that I build in our plans are deeply integrated into what we're delivering to market and really why does it matter to our client base. Um, And then I really think about building brands and my philosophy around building brands. I guess it dates back to a paper that I wrote in college. I thought it was the most magnificent paper that I'd ever written. <laughs> and when I received it back from my professor at the top of it in big red letters were the words K.I.S.S. See me. So I said, no grade, just those words. Yeah. I met with my professor and she simply said, keep it simple, stupid. Uh-huh. And there you go. If the professor like, called you stupid in this day and age, they get fired. Yeah, no, yeah, no absolutely. <laughs> but, well, you know, they'd write I think K.I.S. Please. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but it's a, it, you know, that is a principle that I yeah. think people in our line of work in particular um, could, uh, you know, and, and even speaking of writing comment letters and various other things, I think um, people get so wrapped up in, yes. in going down so many rabbit holes that um, you, you, you know, you end up the more of those you go down the narrower and narrower the audience that you're actually communicating to. That's so right. that you wind yeah. up with. Only but we like, build this lingo and talk about things that we think are intuitive. 
And then you go out in front of a client. And there's times where, you know, I've talked to some salespeople after a meeting. I'm like, do you think that meeting went well? And they're like, yeah, it was great. I'm like, they don't have a fucking clue what you're talking about. That's not a great meeting, even though those people are really, really smart. Our salespeople are really, really smart. Not just saying here at IX, it's anywhere. Anyway. Even when I worked in the technology Should space. include me as well, Rona? John, you you're, you're so eloquent with the pen. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. pen is mightier than the sword. Uh-huh. I'm, I have another question. Am I hogging all the questions? I, well, no, you're not hogging all of <laughs> them, but I have another good one to ask. Well, let, but, let me let me ask okay, this because right. it's in, interesting. So as we've evolved over like IEX, we've had different like chief marketing officers in different roles. And some of them at certain times were like brand and get the best swag out there. And as funny as it sounds, that does matter. But currently our, our, our current CMO, Maria, is doing a great job on really um, using data in her marketing efforts. Um, and I'm just curious how data analytics, or have they shaped your, your marketing strategies? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we definitely have like a CRM and we have, we run email campaigns and lead generation programs. So we, you know, we look at all of those digital metrics that we can find. But I find that still nothing beats working closely with my product and sales team and delivering client engagements that really matter. So even when I talk about content in a way, how we deliver that content, whether it be in a presentation or a roundtable or on a panel, you know, we sort of sort of carry our themes. Um, we'll use the email metrics to understand what content matters, what people are clicking on, what people are interested in, and we'll start to build out those messages in a content map um, so that we are delivering sort of the same themed messages in all the channels that we are we're working in. And you know, I also use data analytics and working closely with our quant team and understanding the performance of our algos because within that data are really good nuggets for for case studies and uh, giving people the reason why they should use our algos over somebody else's. Is that our boy, Eric Stocklin? That is your boy, Eric Stocklin. That's our our boy. We We we, still, we we love love him. (laughs) Yes. He's Um, a gem. He is a gem. And, and a solid American citizen. <laughs> solid American, exactly. <laughs> now he's going to cringe when he listens to this. Right? He's going to want to stay. He's like, I cannot shake these guys. I, I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. well, well, my thought, so Shelly, you obviously are very, um, you understand the products uh, and the technology, um, all of that at a high level of sophistication and detail. But in some sense, and your role, I, I assume that you're also, you're selling the people and the culture and the firm um, in some significant way as well. Um, and so I'd be interested in hearing you talk a little bit about that and how you, certainly from my experience, both Clearpool and now BMO, the corporate culture is seems to be very, very good. But I'd love, love to hear you talk a little bit about that. That's a great question. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't yeah, know where he pulls them from, Shelly, but that's mm-hmm. a good question. Yeah. Hope, you, hope you think so. Yeah. <laughs> so culture for me is huge. And even before the acquisition, I think we, we did a really good job of making sure that everyone understood the product and everyone understood the mission and what we were trying to accomplish. And I think the good news with that is even post-acquisition at BMO, they were two similar cultures coming together. And when we sort of joined the institutional team along with the broker dealer team and we became sort of this one electronic trading solution that had services for institutions and broker dealers the messaging you know over the past three or four years almost four years now has really started together and you know while the teams don't work day to day 
you know, every day because there's that separation of state between institutions and broker dealers. We all work from the same mindset and methodology that we're here to service clients the best way they know how, whether they're leveraging our technology for, you know, their clients or whether, you know, the institutional desk and, and Eric Stocklands of the world are building, you know, really quantitative algos for, for our institutional client base. But it all starts with we all want to service the client to the best of our ability and use the technology for what it's really worth. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. I, I'd like to jump to a, an important topic. It's an, it's an important topic in all industries, but probably particularly more so in finance because there's more work that we have to do there for sure. But you're an advocate we know for more acceptance and diversity in finance. Um, you know, I can jump to the end. Like, what, what changes would you like to see in the industry in that regard? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I'd like to see more diversity on like panels and and, and industry events. We we yep. are certainly starting to see more women on panels. You know, yep. the SBA had hashtag put her on the panel, which was a great campaign. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, you know, but I also think it would be nice to start seeing more people of color on panels as well, whether that be men, yeah. you know, or women. Um, yep. But that would be. Maya. And people who are in a position to do so obviously have to have to be focused on that and have to make um, the effort to try to make that happen um, because yeah. uh, otherwise it's a sort of a um, uh, version of the self-fulfilling prophecy. If the people you populate with these the, the, on these things are all the people you already know and all the pe- people that you already deal with on a day-to-day basis, then it's you're going to be limited to that same pool. Um, right. And you got to, you got to, sort of figure out a way to make to to expand it. I know. I mean, these industry panels and Ronan has said uh, <laughs> sort of essentially the same yeah. things, but it's the same 35 people often saying the same old yeah. crap. For know? the last 15 years, by the yeah, way, it's exactly. like the same topics. We had a guest who was a CEO of um, Women Who Invest mm-hmm. um, a couple of months ago, and we, we thought it was really interesting. But the one that the point that I was really surprised about and slightly off topic, but my question will come is, um, only 5% of invis- investment decisions are coming from women, uh, like from a portfolio standpoint. And their goal was to get it to 30% by 2020. And the, the reason why I bring that up is like, obviously I've worked on trading fours and, and I look around and there's less women than men and there's been a focus on it to a certain extent. But um, what advice would you give to women starting out in finance? Like p- particularly those looking to get involved in like, electronic trading, and I don't know if I can say it, but like traditionally has been a um, way higher percentage male. Yeah. Yeah. Fair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a question in there, I swear. I'm coming up for air. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough, I met with a young lady the other day for coffee, and I told her the best thing that she could do is really know her product. I feel like if you know what you're selling and you know the ins and out of it, like yes. you're just in a, a better position to really yeah. add value no matter what your role is in the company. The other piece of information that I gave her, a piece of advice that I gave her is to ask why. She had a project from her manager and she had no idea why this project mattered to anyone, to him, to the client, what it really meant. And I told her that in order to be really effective and, and deliver an output that you can be proud of, you have to actually know why you're doing it. And I was like, and it's not like a, a why, like, I don't want to do this project. It's more of a, like an inquisitive why, like, I really want to do a good job on this project. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, can you help me understand why this matters? And then I've been guilty of telling colleagues in the past, uh, GSD, get shit done. 
there's a sign in my office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my advice. Get shit done. Yeah. Well, the uh, you know something harking back to something you said earlier, Shelley, about you obviously have come to these realizations um, over time. And I don't know if that's been an incremental process, but I think you said um, early on that you started off maybe without a high level of confidence um, in your own abilities or whatever, but you project at least now in a way that is so composed and so um, seems so self-confident. Did that just happen gradually? How did that evolution occur? Um, years in the making. I had to be confident to know what I don't know. And I had yeah. to get comfortable about asking questions and finding the right people to ask those questions of. I've been really fortunate enough, like, you know, when I started at Clearpool, I knew nothing about market microstructure. Zero. Yeah. Right? So it took a lot of questions. I mean, JR, you've been super helpful when I when I don't understand something, I feel real comfortable that I can call you and be like, That's very kind of you. Did you hear that, Ronan? I as we're um, yeah, as we're I, moving into bonus season, it's very important I was just um, gonna for say, me to get these little the tidbits of validation. The unfortunate part of that answer is he probably gave you the wrong answer. <laughs> so so Yeah, thanks. That's nice. Shelly, send me the questions That's you sent nice. him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, he's mad at me now. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I assume that along the way that you had or you found good mentors who could help you as part of that process. But um, you, I mean, did they just present themselves or did you feel like you had to seek people out or how did that, how did that work? Combination, right? Yeah. So I, I've always tried to seek the, the smartest person in the room most of the time, Um just because I'm a lifelong learner. I just love to learn different things. And I think that's been my ability to shift in and out of different industries and in between different roles. But sometimes they're right there in front of you and you just have to be confident enough to ask the why, right? Not, not necessarily walking to someone and saying, I want you to be my mentor, but if someone's going <laughs> to yeah. give me a project, then I really want to understand what that project is so I can do really well at the output because that's going to be reflective of me in the long run, then I'm going to ask why. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you have to take some responsibility yourself, too. You can't just wait for people to come along and say, I am your mentor. <laughs> that's what I do for John. <laughs> he likes when I sing to him. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> just go with it. Go with it. That's, yes, that's always special. So I understand, like, on, on a, a personal note, um, Shelley, according to your uh, your Twitter bio, which is how we're all defined, I your guess, these days. Now, right? Yes, that you're, uh, you're a really good cook in, in addition to other things. Have you... Have you always been into cooking and um, what, what kinds of things do you cook? And um, is that all self-taught or how'd that happen? So, yes, I am very into cooking, not mostly self-taught, mostly learned from my family. Uh -huh. um, I do a lot of Southern cuisine. So people rave about my mac and cheese and the ham that I made for Thanksgiving. Oh, um, I'm getting hungry. Mm -hmm. I really am. Yeah. This is a, <laughs> listeners. This is at lunchtime. <laughs> I can envision it right now. And keep keep talking, Shelley. <laughs> so yeah, I find solace in cooking too, and I, yeah, I love yeah. cooking with my daughter. And it's a moment for me to just sort of be, and I just yeah. enjoy. It. I, you know, I find that too. I'm sure you are way better than I am, but I, I sort of relatively later in life, um, discovered that that it could be kind of a relaxing endeavor. As long as you're yeah. not cooking for like a whole bunch of people. But so speaking of which, what about Thanksgiving? Did you host that or uh, no, did you go I was fortunate enough to be able to go to my in-laws. So all I had to oh, bring was right. the ham. I, uh -huh. I couldn't come. <laughs> the price of entry that, was my ham. That, 
famous Ellaby ham. I started yeah. frying turkeys about five years ago, and I, I it's a frying mo- them. Well, that doesn't sound healthy at all. Well, it, it's, it's delicious. It's, the, well, it's yeah. the only time the turkey actually tastes good, though. In <laughs> fairness, You're like it's the most overrated freaking dinner item in the world. But if, uh-huh. you, if you fry it and don't burn your house down, oh, it's fantastic. Okay. It's good. It is. It is key. You should look at those videos on YouTube. I was explaining to my dad in Ireland about like uh, frying turkeys and he, he couldn't understand why it would be so dangerous till I pulled up YouTube. You got people like <laughs> blowing themselves up. It's, cra- it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So we, we used to ask this question at the end about like Wall Street movies, but we've since evolved. And we've given our guests a choice of a... If you can call it that. Yeah, yeah. well, when you hear that, it's... I don't know if it's evolution, but we've given um, our last few guests a choice of a few questions, Mm -hmm. and they all seem to choose this one, as did you. Mm -hmm. Really? My question... Yeah, I I don't know. This is a difficult one. I wouldn't know how to answer this, but here here it goes. And if you answer this well, you get your very own pair of IEX socks. You're going to get a pair anyway. Um, (laughs) If the why well, you look at me strange, John? We give every guest a song. <laughs> if the Wall Street bull came to life and could talk, what words of wisdom or advice do you think it would share? Okay, so I gave this some thought. I was born in May. I'm a Taurus, so uh-huh. I love the bull. That's why yeah. I chose the question. Nice. But nice. to give this some context, I was an orphan at 17. So in my mind, if the bull were to come to life, I would imagine it would have happened when Fearless was standing in front of him. On Broadway before she was. Ah, uh, yes, oh, yeah. the, 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 the little girl. Yeah. I'm like, yes, who I thought was great. Yeah. Yep. So for me, I kind of see me and her. I took my daughter to see her. So really, if he came to life, I would think that he would say, be gracious as you charge through this life. Be courageous, be courteous and kind. That wow. is beautiful. That is well done <laughs> was, and beautiful and philosophic. And uh, yeah, that was really well answered. I have to say, and I did not know that the given. girl in the bull. I didn't know her name was Fearless, but she's no. outside the, the exchange, now. exchange now. Yeah, uh, yeah that's interesting. Oh uh, right, but they but they didn't but but they took her away, did they? Or is she still there? No, she's oh. outside the exchange. The bull is where. It was. Oh, I see the bull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I I like I liked it when she was there. In they should put the her wall. outside the IEX office, stare at us too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she should stare at all the yeah. exchanges. And then the <laughs> yeah. SEC and yeah. ask more, her what she thinks the of uh, tick increments. Yeah, I think if, if if Ronan was the bull and he came to life, he'd, he'd go, holy shite, what am I doing here? Where's Get the out of the way. bar? <laughs> yeah, where's the bar? Um, well, Shelly, you've been a fantastic guest. We, we appreciate you having on. Actually, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> we, you have any other questions you didn't ask there, John? Yeah, Even no, after we've yeah, told her I we've asked we, the last question? Yeah, no, I, I, think we've, uh, we, I think we've got them about you. Uh, we might you, give you more than socks for that answer. That was a good answer. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, um, it'll be under $100, we promise. <laughs> you are so smart and have so much um, humanity and so much um, fun to talk to when that um, came across. Um, Eric Stuckland, who? Yeah, exactly. Our new favorite BMO. Who the fuck is stocking? (laughs) Shelly Elkley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Over and out. Do you want to end with a bad Irish second? That's good. Bless you all. Good night. Cheers, mate. Are you a diehard boxer or liner or just a fair weather fan? No judgments. I know how annoying JR's Irish accent can be. Either way, we want to hear from you on our new Boxes and Lines listener survey to find out what you think about the show, give input on future episodes, guests, and more. We'll take it back to our survey counter thingy machine and consider all of your inputs as we plan our 2024 season. You can find the survey at iex.getfeedback.com slash boxes and lines. And don't worry, there's something in it for you. That's my drum roll. 
asshole. JR could probably do it better. You get a pair of socks. That's right. Take the survey. We'll send you a pair of our coveted box and line socks while supplies last in a new limited edition print. How's that for listener appreciation? So take the survey. Tell us what you think. And thanks for listening. Again, that's iex.getfeedback.com slash boxes and lines over and out. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clace. With support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. <laughs>